0: All right, 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we are this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1. So go ahead and grab a Bible and turn there. Uh, we have Bibles in the seats here for you, so if you need a Bible, just grab one of those. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love for you to take those home. We have those there ready for you uh, to bring home. We'll also put Scripture on the screen. But First Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. We're starting a summer-long journey through the book of First Peter. And for those of you who are newer, and I know that's many of you in our church family right now, uh, just so you know, we like to preach through books of the Bible. We do that frequently here. And uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, the Apostle Paul tells the elders at Ephesus, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, the, the whole counsel of God, the, the whole thing. And, and it's unfortunate today that the tendency is that some people do shrink from preaching the whole counsel of God, they shrink back and, and they don't declare everything. They declare the things that are easy or, or, or comfortable, or maybe just things that are culturally more acceptable. But what we do is we commit to go through an entire book of the Bible, and when we commit to going through the entire book of the Bible, we Got to go straight through it no matter what's there. And so that's what we're doing here uh, today as well. And so, uh, you know, generally around here, the preaching kind of looks like this it goes Old Testament book, New Testament book, Old Testament book, New Testament, back and forth. And then in the middle, we we sprinkle things that are appropriate to where we're at. So a spiritual discipline series, or we've done a series on marriage, or things that are pertinent to the holidays. And so our, our last book was Nehemiah, Old Testament. And so now we're due for a New Testament book. And after a lot of prayer, a lot of discernment, we've just really feel led of the Holy Spirit to get into First Peter, and we're calling this series uh, sojourners." Uh, the very first verse, if you look at it in chapter 1, one, is addressed to uh, elect exiles." Or if you go over to chapter two, verse 11, he calls them "sojourners and exiles." And now here's what that means: A, a sojourn is, is a temporary stay somewhere. Now, isn't that what Jesus said? to his followers about them. He says this in John chapter 17, 16, he prays and he says, my followers are not of this world even as I am not of this world. He's saying, listen, this world is not my home and it's not their home. It's not their final destination. Ultimately, as a Christian, you are passing through. And we need to have that kind of deep-seated awareness constantly in our lives that listen, I'm just passing through. This is not My home, ultimately. Doesn't mean that you don't engage. I'm always intrigued in in the book of Mark at the beginning. It says it's reported that Jesus was at home. So he made a home in Capernaum in terms of a ministry center. So he said, I'm going to make it a home and I'm going to minister here. But ultimately, this world is not my home. So we've we got to settle in and engage and, and serve and care and, and, and deliver up the message and the hope and the love of Jesus, but we also have to have a deep-seated awareness that this is not my final destination, and so I'm not going to get too comfortable. I'm going to stick out a, a little bit. So have you ever felt like I don't belong here anywhere? Maybe in this scenario, another scenario. When I was in high school, uh, the football movie, remember the Titans with Denzel Washington, was being filmed in my hometown. Some of you guys I remember that movie really well. It's a great movie. And it's a movie about integration uh, and high school football. And, and so uh, if, you, if you watch the movie, all the maroon jerseys are home games, and those are all shot in my hometown. And so my friends and I heard about Denzel Washington coming to town, filming a movie, and so we said, let's go over there. And we got to be extras, and we got to be in the stands and rooting for, for, the, for the teams, and they dressed us in, you know, 19, I don't know, 50s, 60s attire, and uh, we looked pretty cool and uh, I remember just watching it, having a good time, going and hanging out with friends in the bleachers. And you know, every now and again, they would pull out a camera and do a do a shot. And and for the football scenes, they had college football players doing all the actual hits. You know, uh, these these you know actors. That you don't want to hurt their face; they had to look pretty. And so they did the face shots of the actors. But then the actual hits, if you watch the movie, are pretty hard. And there were these these football players. And I had this friend who was playing college football, and he was. Uh, able to be a part of it doing the hits, and he was one of the guys wearing a a maroon jersey, and on my second night going out to be in the stands, he comes up to me, he goes, Josh, uh, they have a smaller jersey that they're looking to to fill, It's, it's a wide receiver jersey, number 88, And he said, you want in? And I was like, absolutely, I would love to hang out with Denzel Washington on the football field. And so I'm in, right? And uh, they they then brought a a casting person along and they brought me into this this locker room and they sit this this stuff in front of me and say, all right, here's your stuff, get dressed. And I remember looking at this stuff, okay, I know how to put the helmet on, Uh, pads, I could probably figure out the shoulder pads and the jersey over top, but... All this, this other pile of pads, I had no idea what to do. And so I remember putting on these skin-tight, you know, pants, and then just taking these pads and just start shoving them in places until I just look like a robot, you know, everything's poking out, you know, all funky. And, and uh, I just remember looking by and thinking, I don't belong here. You know, I'm looking at all these D1 build giant football players, and here I am, this little wide receiver, you know, supposed to be. And I just, I, I didn't belong here at all, and then eventually, this woman comes by and shows me how to do the pads. Which my little high school ego having a lady come along and teach me how to put on football pads was, uh, was pretty humbling. Uh, and here, Peter's speaking to uh, these people, and he's saying, Listen, you're, you're exiles. You're sojourners. You don't quite belong here. This isn't your final destination. This isn't home for you. This is a place you're going to be temporarily. You're just, you're just passing through. We're here for a short season with a very specific purpose, the Great Commission, to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to observe all that he's commanded. That's our, our mission, but... We're really not here for, for a long time. He, he, he will tell us, uh, Paul will in, in Romans, he'll say, don't conform to the, the pattern of this world. You are different, right? You're, you're different. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I get that, right? I, I get that immediately at, at work. I get that in my neighborhood. I get that with the people I hang out with. I'm just a little bit different. And because we're different, we're going to take some heat. They did and, and, and we do, right? You take a little bit of heat. And the book of First Peter is encouragement to Christians to endure suffering and to remain faithful and to remain different, to remain distinct, all the while clinging to the, the hope of Jesus. Now, I, 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 today we're going we're gonna to look at this, this opening section, which really focuses in on hope for those who are struggling, for those who are hurting, for those who are enduring persecution or challenge or life's trials. And I wonder if there's anybody even in here today that, that you need hope. Today, you're just like, that would, that would be great right now. Life is hard. It's, it's difficult. starting to pile on. And when you get one after the other, after the other, after the other trial that comes upon you, sometimes it just feels unbearable. And, I, and I've told you, that we prayerfully landed in First Peter, really did. It took a while. We kind of balked at First Peter a while ago, and now we just feel like it is really the time for us because there's a number of people in our church family who are hurting right now for a variety of reasons. And I imagine, really, that's how it's always going to be, right? When there's a group of people to come together, there's always going to be people who are hurting. And Peter is looking with this book to show hope in the midst of persecution, and in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggle. And so let's start by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Here's what he says. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so, as we dig into this letter, let's be continually mindful of who the recipients are as we kind of get this opening section here. Peter addresses it to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, we've already learned that they are spiritual exiles, spiritual sojourners, we all are. But for these believers, there's also this literal element of this as well. He calls them exiles of the dispersion, and then he lists these five provinces of of Asia Minor. And in in recent months as a church, uh, since Easter, we've been really looking at what God has been up to since the resurrection in and around Jerusalem, immediately following the resurrection. And we see that this church is born, the the, the church is born, and then there's just this immediate rapid growth. And then at the end of Acts chapter 7, we have the very first Christian martyr. His name is Stephen. And then right after that, Acts chapter 8 verse 1, it says this, it says that Saul, who would later uh, convert and become a, a Christian missionary and change his name to, to Paul, it says that, that, that Saul oversaw all of this. He, he was right there overseeing, watching the, the, the martyrdom of, of Stephen. And it says then that, that he oversaw it and then... As a result, this great persecution arose within this early church. And the church then just goes, Pff! I mean, they just scatter. It says there in Acts chapter 8.1, it says they were all scattered. They're just scattered all over the place. Did you ever think about the fact that the Apostle Paul was a great missionary force ever becoming a Christian missionary and a Christian? Because God uses negative side of his story, his pre-Christ side of his story, to scatter Christians by his persecution and his murdering of, of Christians. He was a missionary even then, and they would scatter, and they would bring the gospel even into Asia Minor. And so he was a missionary even before becoming a missionary. Now, can, can you imagine that for you? Can you imagine being forced to move, and some of you with kids, being forced to move 500 to 1,000 miles away because of the persecution, because otherwise you would be killed. And then you get that far only to realize that you didn't go far enough because the influence of, of Rome was all the way up there as well. And Peter writes this letter for these people for their encouragement in the midst of the, the, the struggle. And the, the big idea of this first passage in this book to the troubled sojourners is hope. He's saying, I, I want to give you hope. I want to show you the hope. Now, if you know Peter's story, you know that Peter is uniquely equipped to speak to them regarding hope. Why? Because Peter, if you know his story, had this season of his life where he lost all hope. He completely and utterly failed. Now, listen, when you, have a, when you find out that you're diagnosed with, with cancer, who do you go looking for? You go looking for somebody who themselves has been diagnosed with cancer and, and been through it. When you lose a loved one, who do you go looking for? Well, someone who's lost a loved one and can kind of speak into your life and be there with you. Well, if you struggle with hope, who do you go to? Somebody who lost it and has it, and that is Peter, the apostle here. And, and, and what's Peter's story? Let's, let's think through Peter's story if we can he, he would eventually be called by Christ, by Jesus, the, the rock. He becomes this, this leader in the early church. But remember who he was before. I think that'll be of tremendous help for all of us because we can see who he was before. We can understand the work that God did in his life and you can say, okay, he can do that in my life to transition him into a rock and to transition me into someone who is more stable. And I think just hearing that, it just injects Hope in us. And so Peter, the author of this letter here, if you remember, he's this blue-collar fisherman. But but Jesus chose this blue-collar man, not this highly educated Jewish theologian, a, a blue-collar man to become one of his disciples, and then an apostle, as he says in Acts chapter 1, who is essentially an authoritative messenger of, of, of Christ, right? for the New Testament. And, and Peter, if you know his story, he, he is this, this large personality, isn't he? Peter is very flamboyant kind of guy. He was courageous, he was loud, he was impulsive, he was emotional, he was combative at times. He's the kind of guy who put his foot in his mouth over and over and over again. And you remember the time when, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And confidence and boldness, he just says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God, right? And then just moments later, after Jesus says, you got it right? Bless you. God the Father revealed this to you. A few moments later, Jesus starts talking about how I am going to suffer. He says, the son of man must suffer many things. And then what does Peter do right after this brilliant moment? He turns around. He says, I don't think so, Jesus. He starts rebuking Jesus. He says, Jesus, no, no, I'm not okay with this suffering thing. And what does Jesus do? Jesus calls him Satan, right? Man, if Jesus called me Satan, I would be crushed. But Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Isn't it kind of a funny turn of events that this Peter who says, I'm not cool with suffering, Jesus. We can't do this, is now the one writing this book on suffering. God eventually turns his heart. It's, it's an amazing thing. There's also the story of the rich young ruler. Many of you are familiar with that. What must I do to be saved? He says, obey the commandments. He says, oh, yeah, I've been doing that ever since I was a kid. He says, okay, well, here's what I want you to do, Jesus says to this rich young man. He says, you've got to sell everything that you have, and then you can follow me. Sell, sell it all. And the guy left apart from Jesus. What was Jesus doing? He wasn't saying that you've got to sell everything and have nothing to be a follower of Jesus. He just looked into this guy with discerning eyes and said, your God is your stuff. And if you can't bail on that and start to follow me, then you can't follow me. He's exposing his heart. And you would think after that moment with the rich young ruler, Peter's right there in the midst of all of that. He would have learned so much stuff in that moment. But then what happens almost immediately following that? Peter starts asking Jesus. He says, okay, Jesus, what's in it for me? I left everything to, to follow you. What do you got for me, right? To which Jesus starts rebuking him. <laughs> Are you serious? I just told this guy, leave it all. You get me. And Peter's like, yeah, but what, what's in it for me? What else is there for, for me? Right? Peter just messes up again. But of course, these aren't his worst moments. There, there, there's, a, there's an awful one that I think we're, many of us are familiar with. Uh, hours before Jesus goes to the cross, he tells Peter, he says, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, I don't think so. He goes, no, you, you're, you're all going to bail on me. He goes, I'm not going to bail on you. I'll be with you to the very end. I'll never deny you. And sure enough, what does he do? He denies him three times in front of a little girl one time. Just emphatically denies Jesus. Do not know the man. Starts calling curses down on himself. If I ever even knew the man. Can you imagine? And then later he sees Jesus and he just just loses it. Just completely dejected. He's given this great privilege to be close to the Messiah. Right? And then he just completely and utterly blows it. Jesus then goes to the cross. He dies. He's resurrected to life. And the resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples numerous times. But it's not really until John chapter 21 that we see Jesus and Peter really having a, a, a conversation. And, and they, they have this conversation. And, and it, it seems at that point that Peter is still feeling just the weight and the dejection of his complete and utter failure. He's back to fishing again. And again, that was his His job, that was his family business. He's back doing the family business even though Jesus says, i got a plan for you. He's fishing again. And Jesus appears to Peter and a few other disciples while they're out fishing. He does this great miracle which reminds Peter of the original miracle that uh, led to him being called. And Peter goes, it's Jesus. And he swims out to the shore to Jesus. And then what happens, you might know the story, they make a little fire and they have breakfast right there on the the, the shore, and, and Peter and Jesus have this really cool moment, this, this heart-to-heart moment. And right there on the shore, Jesus starts talking to Peter. He says, I chose you. He says, i got a plan for your life. You've messed up. He says, listen, you're going to feed my sheep. i got a great plan for your life. I know you fail, but listen, hope is not gone. I'm going to still use you. It's not been about how good you are. It's never been about how good you are or how bad you are. I have a plan regardless for your life. That's what Jesus tells Peter. and, and Now, that's hope, right? For those of us in here who just you feel the weight of failure and distance from the Lord and struggle or whatever the pressure is on you, the weight on you, and Jesus says, I've got hope for you. I'm not done with you. I haven't given up on you. I'm right here. I've got a great plan for your life. God is faithful even when I'm unfaithful, is what he tells Peter, and he's telling us as well. And listen, it's from this personal history that Peter is able to write this book in a unique way compared to other people. So, verse one, he can write to those who are elect exiles. Catch that word, elect. We've already talked about exiles. Elect, essentially saying, God chose you. God God shows you, it goes on, according to the foreknowledge of, and then he gives the Trinity, the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to to Jesus Christ, and so you have the, the Father, he has foreknown you since the foundations of the world began, he says, this is my child. By the sanctification of the, the Spirit, that means sanctified means to be set apart, that He's set you apart, He's come, He's convicted you of sin. You don't just come to God, God comes to you. Jesus says, "You did not choose me, I chose you." This is the Holy Spirit came and, and ripped you out of your bondage. goes on uh, so that you might turn in obedience to, to Jesus. That's the third person or, or the, the Son, right? and receive the sprinkling of blood, his blood shed on the cross for you as a substitution for your punishment for sin by obeying and what he has, has called you to, and that is to repent and to turn and, and follow Jesus. And, and Peter says, listen, that's your hope in the midst of suffering. It's the gospel. It's what God, every person in the Trinity, has, has done for you. Hope has a name. It's, it's Jesus, right? We've all got to be able to answer the question, where does my hope come from? We've got to be able to very clearly answer that question. That's why later in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, a verse I memorized a long time ago, and I just use it all the time. It's always on my heart. Is, is, he tells them, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. So He says, you've got to be able to say, here's the reason for my hope. It's Jesus. So where does your hope come from? Look at verses 3 through 5. Let's read it together. He goes on. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So what did Peter just give us here? He gave us the gospel, right? The the good news of Jesus. Where does our hope come from? Does it come from our current circumstances? Does it come from our relational circumstances, our our financial circumstances, my, my children, my love? Does it come from my vocation? No, right? All those things will fail you. Money runs out. Relationships get strained. Children rebel. Your love could be unfaithful. Your vocation oftentimes ends up not being what you envision. So your hope can't be in those things. And we all, even Christians, have to check ourselves often. Where am I placing my hope? Where does my hope come from? It comes that God in Jesus, would have great mercy on us who have rebelled against God. And he has caused us to be born again. That though we were dying, he gives us new life, makes us new creatures. And that God has, has died for us and God has resurrected from the dead so that though we die, yet we shall live. Last week we baptized a number of people, which is that picture of Jesus' death burial, and resurrection when they come out of the water. And we're saying, I place my faith and trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But it's also a picture of what's happening in your own life, that I've died to sin and I've resurrected. It's also a picture of what's coming, that though I die, yet I will live forever with Christ, free from the pain of this earth. Right? That's our hope. The gospel is our hope. And then Peter uses some some strong words to describe resurrection hope, doesn't he? If you look at verse 4, he he says it's your inheritance from God the Father. That's your inheritance waiting for you. He says it's imperishable. Think about what it means to, to be imperishable. And so if you're... Your your father, when I was a a 16-year-old, my father gave me his car. Now, don't think, wow, a little brat there, huh? No, my father didn't give me like a new car. He gave me the car that he literally bought the day I was born, 16 years prior. He bought this car the day I was born, and my mom calls and says, I'm in labor. He goes to the hospital. 16 years later, here's your car, Joshua. I had this beat-up old car. Listen, that car was a gift from my dad, but it was totally, completely perishable. It didn't last very long at all. But the gift from God is completely imperishable. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to rust. Right? He says it's, it's undefiled. So in other words, no one can mess this thing up. What about me? I, I make some mistakes. Nope, not even you. You cannot mess it up. What about Peter? Didn't, not for him. He, he, he definitely messed it up, but it, it didn't change his status, right? This inheritance that is undefiled. Why? Because God didn't choose us based on our merit. He chose us based on his mercy, right? It says, and by his grace. And then he says, it's unfading. It's unfading, that inheritance that's waiting for you. So yesterday, uh, we were sprucing up our, our our condo. We're having an open house. It's happening right now. Let's pray together. Uh, <laughs> and I was painting this door. And I remember uh, we went and got the exact color code so that we could paint the... The, the door, the, the exact same color. And I was just going to do touch-up. I wasn't going to paint the, the, the whole thing. And I uh, went to the paint store and got this paint, matched it perfectly, shaked it up, same brand. Everything was identical to the original paint that was put on. But when I started to, to paint and then it d- dried, I came back and it was still a little different. Why? Because it faded, right? The, original, the paint that was on there has been on there for a few years and it, it's, it's faded. He's saying, listen, The inheritance that God gives you does not fade. It's not wasting away. It doesn't have like a shelf life. He says it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. He has this for you. This is your promise from God. And the promises of God are for you as good as the day that they were issued. Well, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. It's really hard, and I've I've been tempted to give up. Maybe I did give up for a season. He says, uh-uh, it's still there for you. You can have assurance that God is faithful to deliver what he said he would deliver. Hope is a funny word, isn't it? If you think about this word hope, today people uh, use hope in in a way that's entirely different than the way we have hope in the Bible. Today hope means wishful thinking, right? Like, I hope, I hope so. Like, my little man, Luca, loves playing baseball. He's a t-ball player, and uh, he, he just loves it. But unfortunately, this season, half of his games have been rained out. Literally, half of his games have been rained out, they don't make him up for t-ball. And so, when every game comes around, we, either Becky or I will say something like, man, yeah, I, hope, I hope you're playing today, <laughs> right? I hope so. Which means, like, I'm not real confident based on the past, but I, mean, I, I hope so. What am I, what am I saying? I'm saying I don't want it to rain, but it might. Is that what the Bible means when it says hope in God? Not at all, right? Not at all. Does it it mean, hey, cling to the the uncertain possibility that maybe you'll get lucky and maybe God is real and and maybe your life following Jesus wasn't wasted? Uh, Do it. Why not? What do you have to lose? Listen, the last thing I want for you is to waste your life following Jesus if there's no hope, if there's no certainty. Listen, so many people just treat the Christian faith as it's like this good luck charm. Like come into church on Sunday and rub the rabbit's foot. It's wishful thinking. It's not it at all. You should have certainty. People use hope today to mean uncertain. But the Bible uses hope as certain. This is certain. God is is our hope. The Bible will constantly say things like, hope in God, right? That's the example of David. He talks to his soul. He says, soul, hope in God. Hope in the Lord. You preach to yourself? I don't just preach to you. I preach to myself all the time. Josh, hope in God. Life is hard. It's challenging. You're broken right now. Uh, relationships hurt. I mean, all this stuff. Hope in God, soul. Doesn't mean, soul... Maybe God is good. You never know. There's a a little bit of hope there. No, it's certainty. Hope in God. So here's our working definition of, of biblical hope. It's a confident assurance of God's future faithfulness and current presence. You might want to write that down. Confident assurance of God's future faithfulness and his current presence. That's not wishful thinking at all, is it? No, it's... I'm confident that God is faithful. He's going to deliver what he said he would deliver. He's faithful to do what he said he would do. How do I know this? Based on his track record. right? How he's been in my life, how he's been according to the scriptures, which are historically verifiable. His track record. I can be confident in who he is in the future based on who he was in the, in the past. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, you know this many of you, it says this about our faith. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So hope and assurance go hand in hand. Do you see that? Hand in hand. It's confident assurance in the inheritance that God has for you. And then verses four and five say, it's kept in heaven for you. It's waiting for you. Life is hard, but it's coming. It's, it's coming, Right? And it's being guarded, it tells us, by God's power through faith. Now, that's kind of a tricky little sentence there. This is so important. We need, we need to catch this. 1 Peter is not a how-to book, by the way. A lot of people treat it like this how-to book, like it's this manual on, on how to make it to the end without quitting. It's not, that's not really what it is. 1 Peter is an, an encouraging reminder to Christians that you who are called Will make it. Why? It says here because God's power is sustaining you in your faith. God is sustaining your, your faith. It says your inheritance is being guarded by God's power through faith. So let, let's, let's close with the next few verses here. Let's read on. It says, In this you rejoice. Everything that we just talked about, in that you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation Your soul, you will obtain, you are obtaining, it's it's there, it's going to happen. Verse 6 He looks back and he says, In this you rejoice. And what is this? Everything He said in in the gospel, in the inheritance, and all the promises therein, you rejoice. So, what's your joy? Your joy is not our ever changing life circumstances. Sometimes life is hard, sometimes life is easy. Sometimes it's in the middle, sometimes it's piling on, and it often feels almost unbearable. Is that what our hope is in? Is that where our joy comes from? No. And what do you rejoice? You rejoice in the gospel that is unchanging. It is locked in stone for you, right? Is that true of you? That in that you rejoice? In the gospel you rejoice in the truth and the inheritance of all of that? You rejoice? Or do you tend to vacillate and your inheritance... Is not what you rejoice in, but it's your circumstance that you rejoice in. You're really excited on life's circumstances, but not so much on the things of the Lord. I say it this way often, is that we do a lot of this. That's just natural. We're emotional people. That's okay. That's how we're made. But our anchor is the gospel, and we're like the, the boat that's riding the waves, Right? We're not drifting, though. We're being tossed around. We're not drifting because our anchor is the gospel. But for some people, their anchor isn't the gospel, and they do this, and all the while they're drifting further and further and further out to sea. It's not that life is just going to be easy. It's not that when you get some terrible news of the death of a loved one, you're not going to be rocked to your core. You will be, but you don't drift, and you find joy, and your hope is in the gospel. He goes on, he says, for a little while, if necessary, you may be greed by various trials. A few things to point out. Various trials, right? Our trials all look different. Right? Everybody's trials look different. Some, some things are, are, are definitely going to happen to all of us. We're all going to lose people we love, right? So let's not say, where's God? We're in a fallen world. People die. It's awful. It's terrible, but our hope is in the good news that Jesus saves us and that though our bodies die, yet we live forever, right? We have all kinds of trials that we're going to face. Don't look at the other person's trial and say, man, they don't have it as bad as I do. We all have various trials and we all need hope and it's painful for everybody in the moment. Don't compare trials, look at your own. He says you're going to be grieved by various trials, but notice he he says for a little while. In other words, it's only momentary. Hold on. Cling to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says this. It says, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he's saying, listen, it's, it's momentary. You might have a rough life your whole life, but in the spectrum of eternity, it's, it's momentary. It's momentary. And then he says, if necessary. So 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 latch on to that. That when trials come your way and they, they do come your way, you can, you can trust that God is doing something good in you. If necessary. God's allowing things to come your way. Because He wants to do something good in you. Now listen, it doesn't mean everything that bad everything bad that happens, God said boom. Boom, he's just making it happen. He's striking down lightning bolts. We live in a fallen world, but he certainly in his sovereignty at least lets things come by. He's not the root of evil, but he can stop it at any time. But he in his perfect knowledge, that foreknowledge we talked about at the beginning, looks ahead and says, this is gonna be so good for them. It's gonna grow them. I'm gonna do great things. My gospel is going to go forth through this. I can't tell you how many funerals I have seen people come to know Jesus at. I wouldn't wish a funeral on my worst enemy. It's awful. It's not fun. We can see God do great things out of that. And whatever your trial is, if necessary, right? He says, if necessary. Believer, listen, no matter how bad it may seem, God is going to do something good in you. Do you believe that? He goes on to say, so that your tested faith may be proven genuine, right? You want to see if somebody's a true believer? What happens when it gets tough? Do they run from God or do they run to God? Right? They tell you, hey, I'm, I'm following the Lord. But then when life gets tough, they, they bail. I think it shows us that they were in it for what they could get from him. They weren't in it. For Jesus Himself. But if you survive, you're what He calls an elect exile. Right? You're a sojourner. This isn't your home. You are a follower of the Lord. Your citizenship is not this earth. Your citizenship is in heaven. And he says, You'll go through stuff, but it's like this refining fire, right? And you'll be like gold. No. He says you'll be more precious than gold. Even better than gold. It will result in what, he says? It will result in praise and glory when you see Jesus at the revelation, right? When you see Jesus in the end, you see him face to face, you will be able to praise him and glorify him and you'll say, this life, it was worth it. All the trial, the trouble was worth it because I see Jesus and I'm with him face to face. And then you'll have love and joy on this earth, it says. And it says, Love and joy that is inexpressible. In other words, words can't express it, right? You ever seen somebody who goes through difficult stuff and you're just like, I don't know how I could ever go through that. I remember talking to one lady that was struggling with cancer, a friend of mine named Karen, and and I remember saying, she's just getting beat up. I mean, it was just rough. I said, how are you surviving? She goes, honestly, I didn't think I could. But it's just... The joy of the Lord, right? The joy of the Lord. He, just, he gives me what I, I need, right? That's why he says it's inexpressible. Words just can't express this. But somehow, in God's mercy, he grants belief and joy in a God they have not seen, it says. So that's not wishful thinking. It's, it's this real hope that I trust in this real God. It's this confident uh, assurance that God is faithful still, It's this confident assurance that God is with me even now when I feel like I'm just getting beat up. That's hope, right? When you're in the narrow tunnel of of pain and misery, hope is the light at the end of the tunnel. When you're overwhelmed and you're exhausted, hope gives you the strength to, to press on. When you're discouraged, hope lifts up your spirit When you receive terrible news that you've lost a loved one, hope keeps you breathing, right? When when you lose your way and and things around are blurry and you don't know what to do, where to go, hope points you in the right direction. When you yourself are diagnosed with a disease or are undergoing some kind of painful illness, hope helps you to persevere in the pain. When you are receiving consequences for your bad decisions, Hope powers you towards recovery. When when you're afraid of what the the future holds, hope reminds you God's in control. When you're you're tempted to quit, hope says you can keep going. God has not given up on you. We cannot live without hope. Cannot live without hope. Gotta have hope. And biblical hope tells us that God is faithful, can take that one to the bank, and that God never leaves you or forsakes you. He's right there with you right now. And when life is bad, God and his gospel news is still good. Still good. I'm praying that we'll leave today just aware of, of the hope of God and the hope in the gospel and the hope of Jesus some of you just you need to be able to answer the question, where does my hope come from? And I pray that you can leave say, my hope comes from the Lord. Right? It's from the Lord. And some of us in here, maybe your hope has been in circumstantial things. It's not really been in the Lord. You've never actually received the gospel. It's this news. It's not a suggestion. It's news, right? A declaration of what is true. And you need to place faith in Jesus and the gospel news that you have sinned. You have turned from God. You said, I don't need you. And that the wages of sin is death. And that God in his goodness has mercy on us and he comes to earth and he becomes one of us and he dies for us and he saves us by paying the price for our sin. But he resurrects to life and he's king. And he says, if you will turn from sin and turn to me, you can be my child. And there's hope for you in this life and into all eternity. And some of you today, you need to start there and give your life to Jesus. But wherever you're at, I just want to encourage you to fix your eyes on the Lord, maybe for the first time or maybe yet again, and find hope, not a kind of wishful thinking, but real hope for your life. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Thank you that we can cling to you when everything else is is going crazy around us, that we can cling to you. and We can know we have real hope in you. God, I pray for those who are struggling right now. I don't want to diminish their pain at all. God, I pray that you, as you so faithfully do, you give us all things pertaining to life and godliness, and I pray that you'd give them these things that they need to survive, whether it's Christian counsel around them, just a, an arm around them, a relationship. You're giving us your word. You're given us your spirit. You tell us that we don't have to go begging bread because you're going to meet our needs. And So I commit them to you. May they really have hope in this time, in Christ. And for those who don't have Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would trust in Jesus and find that kind of deep-seated hope that the Bible talks about here. So, Lord, I commit all of my friends in this room to you. And as we continue to, to worship you and sing about hope, would you receive glory and honor as we declare these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.